Good morning. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. We thank you, Father, for another uh, wonderful time around the, uh, your table this morning in fellowship. And uh, we pray for those that are not with us today for sickness or traveling. Uh, we ask for mercies for them and healing. And um, as you return them to us quickly and safely as well. And we just ask your blessing upon your word this morning uh, that we would glean from it, that you would um, show us, each of us, myself included, what you would have us learn and apply to our lives. We ask this in your precious name. Amen. Uh, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Uh, wasn't too long ago, I think a couple weeks ago now, that Harold uh, gave a message from this chapter as well. So it should be a little bit fresh in your minds for those of us here that were here for that. Uh, I was, I did step out with um, Emmeline that day, uh, so I was able to hear a good portion of it, but I apologize if um, some of it's a little bit redundant. Um, but hopefully we, we learned some new things this morning and, and confirmed things we already know. Uh, I'm going to do something a little different today. I'm going to start actually here at the end of the chapter. I, I just feel like uh, with the flow of things, I really want to focus first on starting in verse 20. So we're going to be looking at uh, starting here, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding irreverent and empty speech and contradictions from what is falsely called knowledge by professing it, some people have departed from the faith. Grace be with you all. Obviously, uh, Paul's ending the, the message here with this um, closing statement. But I think getting into uh, the false doctrine that it talks about in verse 3 and on, uh, some of the things that it's alluded to, we, we've looked at this verse, I think, already. In some of the previous chapters, I've jumped to this verse, and I know I've, I've spoken about it before in other messages. Um, it's always been an, an interesting verse. Uh, I believe King James uses the phrase science falsely so-called. And we know the word science just means knowledge, um, but if you're like me, I, I think of science, I think of just the study of the natural world, right? And, and um in its pure sense, the study of the natural world is simply the observation of what God has created. Um, but science, falsely so-called, is essentially man's interpretation that is not consistent with the truth. And so we have people uh, who you know, are credited and learned, and they take what they see and what they experience Right, the scientific method, which is a practical, logical, uh, sensible method to test and see what we observe and, and, and what's tangible. The problem is the false science is that which is goes against what God has told us is already true to be, and obviously that has a huge impact on. Um, our education, if you will, our practical education, but it could even lead to something much more uh, sinister, if you will, and that is disrupting the foundation 
of what we believe to be true and our faith. And that's kind of a, a focus, part of the focus I want this morning is about our faith. And so I'm starting with the end here, right? He says, by professing it, some people have departed from the faith. Or we, be, we can become distracted by false knowledge. And again, that's any knowledge, whether you want to focus in on the natural science part of it, right? The you know, those that that call themselves doctors and, you know, have these accreditations and say, this is where we're from. You know, the origin of species, if you will, uh, the development of man over time, the evolution. Um, you know, that's kind of, that's that's one part of it, right? That focus of basically a lie to say that we come from nothing, right? And how does that not potentially shape the very the very uh, foundation of what you believe, if you believe we come from nothing. right? But that is a lie. We know that to be true. And I'm not going to, this is not a message of apologetics, although I uh, I will encourage you that there are things like that out there, right? There's, there's learned men and women who have studied not only the Bible, but also, um, you know, they kind of cross-check it with observations, you know, uh, what is it, carbon-13, you know, carbon-dating methods and half-lives, and, you know, why is it that we see stars, you know, that are supposedly, you know, that have gone away over time, you know, all these things that, you know, they're, they're interesting to find, but I, I don't feel um, qualified to give that, and that's not my focus today. But there are, there, there are observations that we can make, and sometimes we think, wow, that's odd, you know, there's things in the Bible that, they don't seem consistent with what we experience right here and now. But that doesn't mean that we just throw it all away and think, well, if I don't know and I don't have an answer now for it, then disregard everything. Because even science, uh, falsely so-called, if you will, or, or even just man's attempt, if you will, whether it's even from a good place, it can't always answer questions. We still have things, you know, we don't know what we're doing with COVID. I was talking to... To Brenda and Connie earlier, you know, about what is, what you know, they still don't know what the right procedures are, what's best for our country, and how long to quarantine, and, you know, what's the incubation period and stuff. You know, with all, it's 2022, and we still struggle to find out what to do with one virus, right? And I don't fault people for that. It's just the fact is we're limited. As much as we have amassed in even the last 50 years, uh, we're still, there's the, the space of what we know pales is a drop in the ocean to what we don't know. And that's okay, but that's where faith comes in. But our faith shouldn't be in the scientific method. It should be in Christ and in God's word. So it's a very important to have that foundation, right? That's why we're starting here uh, talking about avoiding the irreverent and empty speech and contradictions, it says. So again, it, it pertains to um, secular science that's rooted in the evolution of species and, and the idea, the lie that we are, that, that God did not create us uh, as we were and are, um, but that we evolved and basically takes that and is able to use that, if you put that as your foundation, as a way to manipulate us into believing that we're not accountable I think, uh, like all lies, right, they're rooted in, in a spiritual sense. We talked about that in previous chapters, right? We talked about how there's a spiritual side 
Um, and we, it's easy to forget because we don't physically see it. But all the lies of man are almost um, backed by a spiritual power to try and get us all to accept them. Remember, Satan uses um, lies and deceit to corrupt us. And that's what he wants, right? We have we believe that that we know he's real and he's working against us and against God, and that's his goal. So we have to keep that in mind. And with all, with most lies, um, having told a few or two myself, right? There's always truth inside of it, and that what makes it sometimes so hard is that there's truth wrapped up around it. And it might be ninety percent true, it might be ninety five, maybe ninety nine percent true. Some lies are just flat out, you know, there's hardly anything there, if anything at all. But most most lies, people are completely stupid. They just, they want to buy into the part that's true, and they use that to justify the part that's not. And you say, well, you know, if I can believe this much of it, I'll just take the whole thing, you know, because it's convenient for me, for my what I want, my lifestyle, whatever it might be, so I can ignore what the hard things in life which are typically the good things and what God wants for us, they're typically difficult. You know, and we go the easy path, the path of least resistance. So it's important to understand that a lot of lies are rooted, or are not rooted, but a sprinkling of truth in there, and that's what makes them more palatable for us. And then we think, well, maybe, you know, this part's true. You know, people do change over time. Genetics have some kind of factor, you know. We see animals, you know, grow limbs and lose limbs. You know, frogs do it. So maybe we did come from the sea. I mean, we act like animals, you know. Maybe we are animals. I'll tell you what, I've I've had those moments at times where I'm like, maybe we are animals. But when you go back to the Bible and you look, the Bible says that, you know, it tells you that, no, the heart of man is, is wicked. This shouldn't be a surprise to you. Yes, people act like this when we have accounts in the Old Testament and the New Testament. We have, you know, God's literally, you know, it says the Bible's discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, right? It it, it opens that up for us to see that. It shouldn't be a surprise to us. But sometimes we we don't act much better than the predators of the the prairie and and the jungle, you know, and that's unfortunate, but that's not, that's not evolution. That's sin, the sin nature that that God uh, that happened in the garden. You know, God created what He said was good, and both lion and man had fallen to the the curse of sin, and that's what we see. But again, science will take that and they'll manipulate that to make us think, no, we're animals. And what happens? What is that really ultimately trying to do? Or Satan's goal is to deceive us away from Christ. He's trying to pull us away from faith in Christ, to put it somewhere else. So there are many false teachings, right, which we'll get into a little bit uh, earlier in the chapter, if you will. Uh, But there's also, you know, you have false teachings. So you have teachings where there are those who profess to be believers, and they might come here and tell you things that are not true, that are not scriptural. Right, people who can be believers but are, are off or skew, they have false teachings. You have those who pretend to be believers or believe they are, they're not, and they have false teachings. 
And then we have religions that are not in anywhere, shape, or form close. You know, they believe in multiple deities. And then you have philosophies that don't root in religion at all. But what is the common thing in all of them? Lies, deceit, the lack of truth, if you will. So regardless, you know, it comes from multiple different um, things. But ultimately, we're just trying to focus on the reality, on the reality of faith and what's true and what comes from God's word. A note on empty speech, um, it talks about avoiding irreverent empty speech. We, uh, I believe I, I referenced this verse when we were talking about the tongue, you know, starting in James 3. And just a, a, a quick little cliff note for that. We talked about empty speech being words that don't encourage us and move us toward Christ, that don't move us toward progression in our walk with God, that don't encourage others. If it's, if it's words that aren't in some way doing that, then it's words we need to leave behind. right? And it's not the focus of words, words, like as they are, but the whole intent of the conversation. You know, why are we doing this? And this is especially a message for me because I, I really like words. You know, I like semantics. It's a fancy word for, you know, just arguing over words and what they mean. And it's hard because... We have great, I mean, uh, Josh does a great job of, right, or the last time he spoke, really looking into the word adoption. And that was something very new. I know I probably, I can speak for all of you, that was very um, enlightening and, and showed a lot of truth that I hadn't really seen before. So it's good to get into the study of words. We have to understand English to hear me speak in English. And the Bible says we got to speak in the in the tongue that people understand. Right. Or have an interpreter. Right. So there's an importance of words. But the problem is, is that we can literally twist that around and just talk about a word and argue for the sake of arguing. And I know I've done that before. And, and, and you see, it's, it's easy to see when things are wrong in children. But it's funny how when you see those things, and it's kind of sad, uh, you realize that they're just doing a smaller simpler version of what we do as people. And so I, and I'll pick on my son because he's not in here. Uh, you know, I'll see Logan take words and, and he's, you know, almost eight, but he'll say things, right? That he knows what they mean and he knows the reaction he's going to get from his sister. But then he'll tell me that that's not what he meant, you know? And I, and I can't think of on the spot an example, but you know what I'm talking about. You know, he'll say something to make it, you know, then make her upset. And then, you know, and then he'll tell me exactly what he did, but the intent behind it, I know what he's doing. He's, he's manipulating her, right? But, but in his mind, his words, he's fine. He didn't say any bad words. You know, he didn't technically say anything wrong, but we all know what, what he's doing. And, and he knows what he's doing. <clears throat> but sometimes I've had those conversations with adults where I'm like, you know what you're doing. You know why you said that. And and then sometimes it's like, no, I, they, we can't, we, when we're wrong, sometimes choose not to bring ourselves into that truth. And we believe, maybe even to the point, we believe our own lies and our own deceit and our own manipulation. You know, and that's wrong, right? And so, again, when it comes to words, we have to be careful because I'm sure each of you have probably seen it where uh, we can become so obsessed with something so small 
like a word. And you kind of have to back up and redefine what are we really arguing about here? What are we really trying to seek after? You know, what is the truth? So avoid empty speech. We should be working towards honoring the Lord and bringing others uh, in progress with us toward the things of God. Sometimes it's just the need to be right for your own pride's sake, and that's wrong. We need to point to Christ, lift believers up and, and unbelievers, and gain ground for God. Uh, again, false, false religions, I won't dwell on that, but I mean, we do understand that, right? We have, um, well, I already hit on that. We, we have those that are religions, if you will, that are, are close and that they say God of, you know, the God of Jacob is the same God that we have but yet they add or take away from the message of the gospel and the person of Christ, right? And that's wrong. So they'll say we have this common ground, and then if you were to Google that religion, they'd be like, yeah, it falls under Christianity, Christendom, you know, or whatever. Um, it's all Judeo-Christianity, and, you know, it falls down this tier. And, and the bottom line is, is whatever you call yourself, we have to go back to the, the word of God. This is how we know Christ, through that and his spirit. This is how we know him. And if it's not uh, lining up with the gospel and what we know to be true in God's word, suddenly it becomes a different, it's not the same God. But we have to understand that you can call God Allah. That's the God of Jacob. If it's a different language, that's one thing. Jehovah, right? We talked about that just last week. Jehovah. You know, Jesus, Yeshua, but is he the God of the Bible? That's Is he the God, uh, the one true God? That's what it comes down to. And again, I believe that, that ultimately it's Satan's goal is to take, whether it's false teaching false religion as a whole or even um, science falsely so-called it's to it's to grab us and anyone that is um, following after Christ and to change their path into destruction and to hurt their relationship with Christ and Christ's relationship with them right the whole point of that is to um, and one of those ways is to remove our accountability to God, right? But to, to make us think that there is no God or to align it with something else, the eightfold path of Hindu or, or Buddhism or whatever. Whatever it is, it's to pull us away from God. And, and obviously that's wrong and that's not healthy. And as we talk about later, it, 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 it's actually not good for, the, for this life. We talked about the life that now is and that which is to come. <clears throat> And I, I just focus on this as well. It says that some have departed or deviated from the faith. That should scare you. That should be a concern. That should be a red flag for us. That should be a, a hold up. I really need to go back and that's not what I want. So what is it? What do I have to do to avoid that? Right. So that's in verse 21. Um, my professing is some have departed from the faith that deviated it. Right. So we don't we should value our faith strongly. We should cling to it. 
So we should so use that as a as a preface to understanding the former parts of the chapter that talk about avoiding these things. So let's go back up to um, chapter six, verse. We'll start in verse one now. All he, all who are under the yokes of slaves should regard their own masters as worthy of all respect, so that God's name and His teaching will not be blasphemed. That those who have believing masters not dis, not be disrespectful to them because they are brothers, but serve them even better, since those who benefit from their service are believers and dearly loved. Teach and encourage these things. If anyone teaches false doctrine and does not agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the teaching that promotes godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing but has an unhealthy interest in disputes and arguments over words. From these come envy, quarreling, slander, evil suspicions, and constant disagreement among people whose minds are depraved and deprived of truth, of the truth, who imagine that godliness is a way to material gain, but godliness with contentment is great gain. But we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I'll stop there for now. Um, again, I know Daryl talked a little bit about this, especially the verse of, of uh, the love of money and how it's often misquoted, right? Again, the first parts of chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, uh, Daryl really covered that pretty extensively uh and again, it, it's kind of, if you read it for the first time, right, it, it's, it's a little odd because you know, you're talking about slavery and, and depending on your culture and, you know, us being Americans, there's a very re- a good reason why the word slave is just, I don't really want to talk about it, right? There's a lot of shame involved and should be because of that word. <clears throat> and here we go with words again. There's no way to avoid culture. There's no way to avoid words. So we have to be sensitive, I think, to this word. And so I was praying and thinking, like, how do I how do we even handle this word? Uh, I know that in the past uh, I've used the word, in, in even the, the, the translation to use, I, I've used the word slave in the first meeting. And uh, it really, uh, I won't say upset anybody, but I know that they were, they kind of counterpointed it in a way. And it wasn't my intent to... Um, you know, cause confusion or hurt anybody's feelings. Um, but it, and, and maybe for some of you, that it's, it's just not a word that people like to use. And some translations, um, like in First Peter, which I believe, again, Daryl referred to uh, a couple weeks ago, and, I'm, and we will look at, but a different portion. You know, so it, in several places, it says a slave, Paul, a slave of God, or, or you know, we, are, we should be as slaves to God. Um, but some translations use bondservant, right? And so I, I, I can't tell you that I've done enough study to really understand all the ins and outs of, of what, what God would have for us in that and, and understand where that starts and stops. But I will say this, that the slavery of what we saw in this country, you know, years ago is not what's something that God wanted, right? Daryl was very clear about that as well. That is not something that is, is true and pure and right and godly and righteous. And 
when you think back, I was thinking back to the garden. Uh, well, well, when we think back to the, that type of slavery, because there's multiple types of slavery, what was the primary purpose, the practical purpose, was forced labor, right? Like a lot of slavery, like we saw the Israelites in Egypt, it was for forced labor. Uh, forced labor. It was, you know, I want workers, and I need workers, and, and this is what you have, right? But not under the freedom of capitalism and, you know, I give you money and, you know, you give me your time. It's forced labor. But what do we have in Genesis when God created the earth? We don't have labor. God labored. God spoke everything into existence. And I, I don't know what pre-cursed earth exactly looked like, but, I mean, we have a few verses that tell us. You know, but it says that the curse of, after the curse of sin, it then by man's sweat did we have to work, right? Then we have labor with, with women. They go through labor to, we call it labor even, to have babies, pain, suffering. So there doesn't seem to be that prior to. And so now we have labor. So labor itself wasn't even the original intent, if you will. But now we have it. It's just part of life. We, it's not a sin to work, but it's part of the curse of sin that we have to work, that we have to pull the weeds out from, from the fields to get the food we need, right? But again, slavery in the context of this country was white people owning black people predominantly and forcing them to work. And there might have been those who were, um, you know, more, more, uh, Kind to those that they had, you know, and and maybe maybe they came to realization. I don't know that. Hey, this is not an. This I would not want to be in this situation, but I don't know what to do because there's no schools. They can't vote. Where will they go? Right. But and I'm not a history buff. I don't have a you know. But um, but there were those who were sympathetic to that clearly, and then there were those that were not. And the Bible talks about it. This is nothing new. This has been going on for years. It talks about you know like. There were those that were beaten, and then you have kind masters, and you have not-so-kind masters. So it's not a new uh, territory. But clearly, I think we all see that as wrong. But what God says, and this is a radical view, like God's things, it's radical. And there's another word, what does radical mean? You know, I, my mind, from being a young man during 2001, I think of, think of ra- radical uh, Islam. You know, I think of radical, of somebody, you know, taking their, their beliefs and going to an extreme. And in a sense, that's what we want. We want radical, right? If you're from the 80s, you hear radical and you think, man, that's rad. I don't know. That was like a saying, right? That was, that was really cool, rad. Nobody says that anymore. Do they hate that? No, I don't think so. Radical means different things, but it, radical, you know, it's, it's, it's different. It's, it's, it's kind of unique and dynamic, and it's not what you would expect. It's, it's life-changing, right? And that's what God's teaching is. It's radical, and it flips things on its head. So it's not to downplay that, that slavery, whether it's child slavery in, into the most terrible things or into uh, armies, you know, uh, child armies, whether it's, it's labor slavery, whether it's based in racism or whatever it had, it's all bad. But, but what God says is that there are things that are worse. 
There are things that are worse, and that what man what man can do to you ultimately is at most take your life from you. Your actual physical life, not just your freedom. Man can take your life, and that's the worst of it. And I'm here to tell you, that's not the worst thing that can really happen. Don't worry so much about that, because where you are in life, you might not be able to change it. And thanks be to God, in this country now, we are free to do many things. And again, if we're free to vote and you see something is unjust, use your voice and do that. If you're free to help somebody to your left or to your right, help them. But this is the same Bible that was for people 100 years ago and 200 years ago and 1,000 years ago, right? This is the same word of God. And sometimes there was no way in their lifetime they could do anything else for the physical part. They couldn't go vote and change something that they saw was wrong, right? They could only do what they could do in their life. And God was saying, listen, no matter where you are, this you can do. And this is the most important thing you can do. And that's you have faith and you submit to God. And then he had these radical views, if you will, where through peace and love and submitting yourself, you can change your first. You, God can work in your life and through you work in others because of the spirit. Right. And so that's that's the part that we have to understand that while there are these terrible things, not to downplay that slavery uh, isn't terrible and that, that being tortured or, or harmed isn't bad. But understanding that God is, his focus is on your soul. And he gives us strength to deal with physical problems, with illnesses and sicknesses. But again, when Jesus is here, he did ignore those things. But often enough, sometimes he's like, you know, like, hey, I'll, I'll help you see, I'll help your child walk, whatever. But like, you guys are expecting me, the Messiah, to be here to undo everything in your life that's bad. And let's be honest. How many times does it say, because you guys messed up, you're in this situation? You know, how many times in the Old Testament does it say, if you do ABC, you're going to get EFG, and it's all good stuff. You're going to live in the homes you didn't you didn't even build. You're going to eat grapes you didn't even grow. And then they're like, yeah, we're going to worship idols. Thanks anyway. And then, boom, they did that, which was right in their own eyes. And then judges came, right? And now you're in captivity. And, and Jesus said, like, I'm here to provide you a kingdom that will never go away. And you can't even mess it up because you keep messing up all the good things on earth I give you. And there's this like constant cause and effect, you know, and that's still here. There's still a cause and effect. If you do bad things, if you sin, if you disobey God, you will see suffering that you don't need in your life. And if you do good things, if you follow Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and you look into wisdom and you get it, you will get understanding, and you will get a lot of promise. But there's a caveat, and we're gonna we just read. You don't get the prosperity gospel that is sometimes preached out there, right? You don't have a life that is that is void of any suffering, and you don't necessarily get to drive a Ferrari. You know, you it it, it might happen, but it's understanding that it is first and foremost about your soul. And your relationship with Christ. That is what God wants for you. That is what, what Jesus seeks after with you. And it is the best thing for you. Godliness is, is profitable for your life now. And for eternity. Remember, this, this life on earth is a blip. In When you look at, at back at you know, eternity as a whole. We're all going to exist forever. 
So we have to remember that. Again, verse 7 is emphasized here. For we brought nothing to the world, we can take nothing out. Paul even says, if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. I said a few uh, a while back, and I talked about the poverty line, and you know, I've had little conversations about where that is, and and now even thinking about these verses, this verse was particularly, it seems like the threshold has almost been established. I mean, and not to take this out of context, I get it's just one verse here, but he's saying if you have food or clothing, you're good. And I looked it up in the United States, the number of people, as far as I can see, that died actually died from starvation is too low to keep track of. And the few that do die typically from mental health issues. Um, in fact, my my grandfather, uh, he keeps going through days, several days of not eating because of his dementia and Parkinson's. They believe he's going to starve to death, essentially. His brain is shutting down. Um, now, that's not to say that people aren't hungry in this country. There are. And there are a lot of people, and, and this is, the clothing is also kind of, Shelter falls under that. And so the, some translations kind of have that idea of shelter, right? So that you, but if you're clothed, and, and a lot of people are homeless and displaced. But the bottom line is, even in this country, even the most destitute, the people that are that are down, um, that are unemployed, that are they're having the hardest of time, even in this country, because of the way it is, very few actually die because they can't find food. Um, there are other places in the world that's not true. Because of geographically, they're, they're not, it's, it's difficult to get food in those areas. There's warlords who literally hoard food and keep it from people. There's tribal issues, wherever it might be. There's a lot of places that people are literally starving and, and, and dying from not having clean water. But the, the nice thing is, in this country, it's not, it's not as much of an issue. But people do suffer, and they, and they don't sometimes have access to food. Uh, and that, that is hard, and I don't know what it's like to experience that. But what I'm saying is that I, I get frustrated because so many people I talk to, they talk about life like they're, like they're living the hardest life. And it's like, even if you're homeless in America, you still have food. And Paul's saying, we, we just want so much sometimes. We want so much. We're never content. Where does the contentment stop? Because there are some that are, they, they have a place, they have food. Like, I'm good. Now, this is a good day. And so much of it, so many of us, even myself included, sometimes like, man, I had a rough day, you know, and it's okay to have a hard day, but we have to remind ourselves and each other that we have to be content, and people look for that because if we're complaining for things all all the time, we're always seeking after material things. People notice that, and how are we different than they than they are? And there's so much frustration I have because I talk to people all the time about it's always about what. The other evil people are doing, you know, those they they have, oh, man, so much waste, so many politicians or CEOs or whatever. They all got the money. They all got this. Why can't they make life better for everyone, including me? You know, it's like, what are you doing? You know, because we have time to talk about this. We're probably doing okay. You know, we have time to put this on Facebook about gas prices. I get it. You know, it's hard, but you're, you're sitting there on your phone, on your Wi-Fi, and you're Complain about gas prices like you're going to die tomorrow. It's not. You're not. You know, you're, just stay home. You know, like, 
walk to work, bike to work, whatever it is, you know. Again, it, it is hard, but we have to find contentment in what we have. And it's just interesting that Paul says these things, you know. You got food, you got shelter and clothing, you're good. You know what I mean? Like, move on. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmless desires, which plunge people into ruin and destruction. And it goes on to talk about the love of money. And one more caveat, and then we're running out of time here. It's also easy to blame rich people, you know, and to say, like, because we have a lot of, you know, talks about buying the needle and stuff, you know, but, but what do we have? Let's move over here. Uh, instructions of the rich. Verse 17, instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation, the coming age, so they may take hold of what is truly life. So that means that you can be material, wealthy and material and still be, you know, a child of God. You can do that in a way that's, that's good. And we, there are many people who are blessed um, who have you know, invested well, who have worked hard their lives, or maybe have an inheritance, whatever it be. It, money, it, as, as Daryl said before, it's not about the money. That's not the problem. It has no thoughts. It has no desires. It does no works. You know, but it's who holds it. You know, and if we're, so you don't have, by, by being rich, you don't have to be greedy, and you don't have to rich, be rich to be greedy. You know what I mean? That That's the difference. It's about the heart. You can be poor and not have the only difference between some poor people and some rich people. They're both greedy. They both love money. Just one actually has it. That's the only difference. You know, but so many people don't see that. They think because I don't have the money, then I'm not the evil one. And they just think that everybody, it's always somebody else's problem. But again, the only difference at best, the only difference is you don't even have the money to waste. They're wasting their money, and you're wasting what little you have. They just waste it at a bigger level, you know. I think I've shared before. I, I felt like uh, a time in my life when I really felt like the Lord spoke to me. I was, um, you know, I really, I, I really wanted God. I was like, God, you know, you give me these things, and you know, including money and all this stuff, and then I'm going to do these great things for you, you know. And He was like, Michael, what are you doing now? Like, you have no responsibilities. You live at home with your parents. You got a job. What are you doing with your money and your time? And, you know, how, how do you think, why do you think that, just take what you do now and just blow it up there, like, or shrink it down. Either way you look at it, like, what portion of your life do you give to me now? So that you think that if I give you more, you're going to do more. And, and I was like, wow, it's so simple. But yet, it's so true. I, I don't, what am I doing now? And that has to be our focus, right? Again, it's always bring the focus back to our hearts, our conditions, not dwelling on what could or should be or would be uh, in a different scenario. No, God's saying right now you can do things for me. You can seek after my kingdom. You can you can do good works um, that will show forth a change, bring forth a change, and show Christ's love in yourself. And therefore, and you take that and give it to others. So again, it's not being—it's not being rich that's evil. It's the root. It's that love of money, that love of material gain. I would add on to the the love of the reputation of man. We read that elsewhere as well. You know that 
You shouldn't be seeking after just fame and glory and, and kudos from other people. We should have a good standing as much to live peace, peacefully. We should um, worry so much about our reputation that we want to be upstanding. We read that earlier in First Timothy, right, of good reputation, but not, but not to the point of, of our own glory, not the point of our own um, conceit. We should just be careful to uphold a reputation that's honorable, that um, glorifies God. There's a lot uh, kind of crammed in this one chapter here, um, so I'll just kind of wrap it up with this, just kind of a recap. Um, there's a lot of truth that, like, we it's important to dive into it, you know, to look throughout the scriptures and to um, pray and take time. And the Lord obviously takes time in revealing things to us. Sometimes, you know, you get a new believer and they're so Typically, uh, hopefully, they're very um, they're thirsty and hungry for knowledge and truth. And, and I sometimes wonder why you know why don't we just get it all you know right away? Why not? We want it. You know, it's right. But we we're stubborn. I don't know. We just take time. You know, the Lord get through experiences, through mentorship, um, sometimes rough patches. The Lord works on us and molds us. And um, but a lot of times these things are simple. You know, we kind of overcomplicate things and um, it really is. It's simple. It's it's to just first align your heart with what God wants, you know, to to seek after um, him and and not the things that sometimes come natural to us, which is ourselves. And just turn over to first Peter. I think it's worded really well here. First uh, Peter. Uh, chapter one, and I'll end, I'll end with this uh, paragraph here. First Peter chapter one, verse uh, starting verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because of His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith. For a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. So that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which through perishable, though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him. And you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's kind of in itself a definition of faith, right? Of faith. We've not seen him, yet we love him. Not seeing him now, we believe in him. Jesus even said, blessed are those. We haven't touched his hands. We will, though, and we hold on to that, right? Blessed are those that haven't seen and believed. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace of 
that would come to you, searched and carefully and investigated. They inquired into what time or what circumstances the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. These things have been now announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. Yeah, I just think it's it goes so well with this idea that um, we have a new hope through the resurrection of Jesus, right? We have a faith um, in Christ, and that what it's not, it's it. The faith is imperishable. Is imperishable. It's inherit. It's going to give us an inheritance. Inheritance. Sorry, that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading in heaven. So again, it's in contrast to the material things that that First Timothy talks about, where it says, you know, you don't don't seek after those that those the that those things will just go, you know, plunge you into ruin and destruction. So. We have to seek after this. We have to hold the faith and seek after that and, and avoid the false teachings and the false science of the world. Let's pray. Lord, once again, we, we thank you for the reading of your word. Um, we ask that you would take um, take these truths and apply it to our lives, that we would refine our faith. We know that it, it's uh, often difficult to endure trials, but we know that through you, you work in us through trials to refine our faith, and that we would become close, that we would come closer to you in our relationship. We just ask that every day you continue to have us seek, seek you, and rely on you in prayer and um, our daily walk. That we would look into your word daily and. Um, that we avoid the, so the easy temptation of being wrapped up into the inner workings of this world, into um, the wealth, the materials, the, the things that distract us. We know that we have to deal with things like money, but we ask that you would guard our hearts against the love of it and and the distractions of man's glory. But we would look to the glory of your Son Jesus, and we ask this in. His name we pray. Amen.